0: Welcome to today's episode of Inside Startup Investing. On today's episode, I will be speaking with Dan Rootstein, President of Business Relations at Orange County SC. Orange County SC is a professional soccer team or football for European lovers of the game that plays in the USL, which is the second highest soccer league in the United States. For those who don't know, I am a major sports fan. And as a hobby, really enjoy investing in several of the pro and semi-pro teams that have become available for investment on platforms like Republic. I've studied the sports investing landscape for a while and believe there is a real potential to invest in soccer teams right now in the United States and experience upside. A few things that excite me about this business and the conversation I had with Dan are first, as I have already mentioned, there are an incredible number of tailwinds supporting the growth of soccer in the United States including the arrival of Messi to the MLS, new streaming rights that are making watching the game of soccer more accessible than ever, and the virality of shows like Welcome to Wrexham that are warming the hearts of many Americans to the largest sport in the world. The second thing that stood out to me was that Dan and the Orange County SC organization are working really hard at the organizational level to build a sustainable business model around the team. Many don't realize that soccer teams are often losing business propositions from a cash flow perspective. Finding ways to build a sustainable business model can be challenging when trying to balance winning in the near and long term, but tapping into the value of player development and actually selling players is helping OCSC to create better business economics. The last thing that I really enjoyed about my conversation with Dan is that Dan comes to the team with a uniquely diversified background that I think I will let him tell you about, but... As far as I'm concerned, it feels to me that Orange County SC has found their person to help take them to the next level as an organization. I think having an opportunity to be a sports owner in this situation is incredibly exciting. So, with that, let's get on to the show and welcome our guest, Dan. So, Dan, to start us off, can you tell us a little bit more about your background um, and how you came to found this organization?
1: I have a, uh, I think you call it a non-linear background, so I have been, uh, I was a journalist for a dozen years, uh, sports journalist for a good part of it, football was a big part of what I did, but I did all sorts of other sports, I worked in Bermuda, it was all rather wonderful. Um, Then I worked as a diplomat for the British government for a number of years, I was posted over to Los Angeles, I loved it here for all the reasons that people do. I decided I didn't want to work for the government anymore, I wanted to stay here, got a green card, I ran a tech company for a couple of years, and then I was asked to come in and run Orange County Soccer Club, and um, so the, the team's been around for, uh, where are we now, it's about 13 years, but the new owner came in a few years ago, um, and then I've been brought in to really sort of take us to the, to the next level, and it feels like we're going to the next level at the moment.
0: All right, first off, you have to help me understand the similarities of working as a diplomat to working in football. <laughs> so when the previous
1: president left and they asked me to take over, my concern, and I think the owner's concern, was does this guy really know how to work with dynamic ticket pricing and sponsorship and the things that really go into the day-to-day running of the, of the business side of a, of a football team? What ended up happening was, uh, eight days after I took over, when I was sort of trying to get my head around some of those things, our local, not very friendly MLS team tried to throw us out of our stadium. So day eight, we find out that we are potentially a month away from being thrown out of our stadium. Uh, and so we had to start a campaign around saving the club, which meant working closely with the, the city who owned the stadium but then also the sort of PR side of it. Now, it rather helps that a former journalist who used to work in government. The thing I did know how to do was run a campaign, which is one part sort of managing political stakeholders and the other part sort of the media campaign. We saved the stadium and then I quickly learned how to do the actual things involved in running a, running a sports team. Um, and then I spent the next year working on a new stadium deal. And last October, we signed a 10-year deal to... Sort of stay in the stadium, which effectively secures the, the future of the club. So actually, my government and my journalism background proved that, that for that week, that was the skill set that was required, and now I'm just learning the football side. That's
0: incredible. <laughs> what a cool story. So let's talk a little bit about the team. You said it's founded 13 years ago. Um, you're in the USL division. Can you talk to us about what is the USL, um, and how do you think about upside for the organization within that league?
1: Yeah. So for those who don't know the way around necessarily the domestic soccer landscape. So the top division in America is the MLS. And uh, there's a chap called Lionel Messi who plays in it, if any of you have heard of him. Um, The level below is the USL. So we are in the USL championship. We actually won the national championship in 2021. So it's obviously... Smaller in terms of the size of the stadium, and you know they're on Apple now. We've got a national deal with CBS, but it's still fully professional. We play in front of five and a half thousand. Our stadium sells out every week. There are teams in our league like Louisville who play in front of you know about twelve thousand every week. Wow. In terms of the stat, if you walk into the stadium and look at the standard on the field. I would say the top of the USL is is no different from the bottom half of the MLS. So obviously there's no Messi in the in the USL, but there's something called the Open Cup which is a competition where teams in different divisions play against each other and every year MLS teams are beaten by USL teams. So you know there's definitely a crossover there. So the standard on the field they're all fully professional. I think a third of our players have played in the MLS. Another third have played in top European leagues. So this isn't this isn't the the difference between the the G League and the NBA or watching the Rocket City Trash Pandas and and the New York Yankees. Like this is real soccer. And if you get rid of the stadium and just see what's on the field, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference between MLS and USL. It's a really strong standard of of soccer, And I think where the upside is, is if you look at where soccer is as a sport in this country. So obviously, America hosted the World Cup uh, in 94. And I think it did a lot to move things forward. But a lot of people didn't know what the World Cup is and didn't really care about football. I think the world has moved on. Football is a mass participation Sport, obviously, more kids play football than soccer than any other sport in America. So it's really growing. And then you layer on, Ted Lasso, Welcome to Wrexham, Lionel Messi playing in the MLS, and the World Cup being here in now two years' time. Soccer is just growing exponentially, and we see that in terms of our of our fans, of the interest in the game, the partners we want to work with, the sponsors, like. Football, soccer is growing, and we are right in the middle of this, and there's a huge growth opportunity for USL teams.
0: The the macro trend lines, I think, all support a pretty bullish case for the future of football, soccer here in the United States, um, which is really, really exciting. Now, one of the things that I have found so intriguing as things like Welcome to Wrexham have come about, uh, and even all the sports documentaries that are now available on things like Prime and whatnot, there's so many interesting stories about you know, the English football leagues and the Spanish football leagues. And one of the things that brings so much intrigue to that world is the fact that teams quite literally can be moved up and down between leagues if they don't perform well in the league they're in and have an opportunity to move up, which creates such incentive because the value of the company could increase so much when they are able to go up or down. Talk to me about, do you see a world in the future where something like that could happen, where the USL and MLS could become one of those where we actually see teams going up and down? Or do you think there's kind of too much bureaucracy established, you know, tendencies in the United States to allow for something like that?
1: Yeah, look, it's a a great question, Chris. And I think uh, it's one that when people outside America look at America, it's the obvious missing piece. The reality is I can't see a world at the moment where the MLS and the USL would in some way come together. And it comes down to money. Um, And it is, if you want to buy a franchise in the MLS today, it's $500 million. Um, That's what San Diego FC, who joined the MLS in 25, paid No one's paying $500 million, and that doesn't even get you the stadium or the players. Right. With the chance that if they're the worst team, they then drop out. And then the team who play in a league where the franchise fee is considerably less, um, a multiple less, you get a chance to go up. So I think the money just doesn't work. And it was interesting, they tried to do something in Europe, the European Super League, which was a lot of. People thinking, how do we get rid of the, the jeopardy, the drama, the excitement of promotional relegation to give companies effectively a, a baseline business that they can run without that risk? And, and I think the reality is it just doesn't it doesn't work like that. Football doesn't work like that. So Wrexham is a, you know, a very visible example. They were in the fifth division. They are going to keep going until the money runs out. They could probably go up three divisions and the club grows you know, the front of shirt sponsor was a tractor company two years ago, then it was TikTok and now it's United Airlines. But it goes the other way. There are teams who were in the top division who have have dropped down. And it's difficult for them to, to survive financially and they have to obviously cut their cloth differently. Some of them have got huge stadia that they don't get to fill because they're not playing Manchester City, you know, once a year anymore. So... That's where the excitement of it comes. But I think in America, there's just too much money and not enough history. So there is a barrier. Now, the USL has got multiple divisions. There's Championship League One and League Two. You know, it was well publicised last year. There were some broad discussions about it. I think there could be promotion relegation between those divisions at some stage if the conditions Mm. are right. But... I just can't see a world where MLS does it. I can't even see it like an MLS 1 and 2 because who wants to be the owner of an MLS 2 team and still pay the price of MLS 1 team?
0: Now, I, I think it's a little bit like however it's been built, right, is the way in which you have to move forward. In the U.S., it's been built as the league is a league is a league and you don't get to go up or down. Now, on a micro level, you mentioned that there's a, a national deal with CBS and obviously streaming and TV rights play such an important role to supporting professional sports teams. I'd like to understand a little bit more about how kind of the TV deals work in the USL, and how do you see those expanding in the years to come?
1: The world of sport is transformed by how it is is viewed. So when in England they moved what was the old first division, as they used to call it, to become the Premier League as part of a big TV deal. That's why the Premier League is the best league in the world, because the money came in for the TV, which allowed the teams to buy the best players and you you create your own destiny um i think we're on the right path so our games have always been streamed on espn plus which is great but we've done a new national deal with cbs and i think it's partly because mls is now on apple so if you're Mm. a network tv there is no mls available for you anymore our product is excellent um, and so they want to show our game. So for us, being on the same channels as the Champions League games is is huge. So you'll be watching CBS and potentially watching it on your local station. And in half time of a Champions League game, where you're watching, you know, Real Madrid against Man City, they'll say on Saturday night, you know, Orange County are playing against Louisville. And I think it's great for us to be in the conversation with, you know, global sport. The power of CBS. People are told what they want to watch. So you'll remember during the pandemic when mainstream sports stopped, people were watching cornhole and axe throwing, um, and they grew in prominence and there were sponsorship opportunities because that's what we were given by TV. I think we know we've got a good product. We probably have a bit of a discovery issue. I think the CBS deal is going to allow... They're going to help us tell the story. So we've been talking to our local cbs affiliate and they want to come and tell the stories of of our players of the work we're doing in the community all those sorts of things and people will see that and get interested and they'll start watching the games and it it does become a virtuous cycle and if cbs tell you to watch our games you'll probably want to watch our games and the games are of great quality so everyone everyone rises as a result so i think you know the ability to be on network tv is going to transform the sport as we go forward and I'm sure if promotion and relegation comes at some point within the USL structure, the TV companies will be climbing over each other to be part of that. Because as you say, that jeopardy, that excitement, that's what makes some of the most exciting soccer elsewhere in the world.
0: One of the other really interesting things to me is as part of the economic model of a lot of especially you know, European football clubs is actually making money off of the players when they're transferred to another team. So... In the U.S., we, we kind of know we see a lot of trades happen between teams where you trade one player for two players, right? You get a really good one, and you get multiple players back. But it's never really for a monetary gain or loss. In, in the football world, there's a lot of transactions where they're paying $20, $30, 100000000 million transfer fees, and those clubs are making a lot of money. Does the OCSC have its own academy? Are you training up players, and are you selling players and actually able to make money in that way as well?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Chris. It's, it's interesting because, as you say, in America, it's, you know, do you want one of my best player in exchange for, you know, draft picks for the next seven years and some extra salary cap or whatever it is that you need to put into the mix. That's not how soccer has worked anywhere else. So we've pioneered as a club this model. So we were the, we've we sold more players to European teams than any other team in North America, including wow. MLS teams. So our our model is, of course, you know, From a purely financial point of view, there's hot dogs to be sold and there's tickets to be sold, but there's there's players to be sold. And I think it's it's a great model. Like I say, we've we've sold six players now to to teams in the top divisions of, of Europe and you're helping these young men realize their dreams. You know, I think the old route of you go to college which obviously is still very much the case in NFL, in soccer, a European team doesn't want you aged 21 or 22 when you've spent the last three years playing against other teenagers. They want, they want to blood the players young. So they want to buy our players at 16, 17, 18-year-olds where they're still right. coachable, but also they've, they've been playing against men because right. in the Premier League and in the Dutch First Division... You're not playing against teenagers. If you're good enough, you're old enough, and I think this model's worked really well for us. So we've, we say we've sold six players last year. We sold a player to to Feyenoord, the uh, the Dutch champions. We sold a player to Nordsjælland, um, you know, a Danish team who play in in the Europa League. So this model's great. So from a from a long-term point of view for the club, we've got a whole extra income stream. We have a a fifth quarter, as it were, in terms of 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 income. So We get, obviously, the transfer fee when the player goes. And that's normally, for players of our standard, it's a reasonable number. But it's not, you know, mind-blowing. But then it comes with incentives. So when they play their first game for the first team, another amount comes. If they get called up to the national under-21 team, another amount comes. So there is, you know, these deals with incentives can start getting into some real numbers. But then the, the real money comes later when they move on. So, you'll be taking anything between 10 and 20% of their next transfer. So, you know, we sold a player to Feyenoord. Feyenoord are selling their players to bigger clubs, the sort of PSGs and Newcastles of the world. And some of those players are going for, you know, 20, 30 million. And if you start getting 10, 15, 20% of those numbers, that starts being, you know, potentially a whole year's revenue from a player transfer where the player left your club three years ago. And it all sounds very new and exciting here in America, but that it's not new and exciting. It's just new and exciting here in America. Um, the team I support back in England, we play in the same division as Wrexham. They've been doing this for years, selling players on a million here, two million there, ten percent of a twenty million went twenty million dollar deal later. That's just how a lot of teams survive, and we've brought it to America and. We're doing it and, and we're recruiting players off the back of it. So players will come to us and we'll say to them, they'll come to us knowing that we'll, they'll play for one year and then they'll go to Europe. That's almost, they don't want to be here for 10 years. They want right. yeah. to use us as a route to Europe. And we're very happy to be a route to Europe because
0: that's, that's the model we're, we're creating. I'd like to understand a little bit more, while it's very exciting to own a sports team, And from the outside, it seems like, you know, sports teams, all they do is increase in value these days, and it's been unbelievable investments for many different owners over the past many years. The reality is, is like, trying to run a club, especially not at the highest league, can oftentimes be quite challenging and not always profitable by any means. What things are you doing to try and build a sustainable business model around this team? We talked about the transfers. What other things are you doing? How are you managing costs?
1: Yeah, so look, uh, I think it's uh, pretty much an open secret, and not just in America, but running a soccer team. There used to be a you know a, a saying: How do you become a millionaire? Start as a billionaire and buy a football team. Um, <laughs> and I think you know there's something in that. I mean, you know, in the USL, nearly every team runs at an operating loss. But you know, Chelsea lost hundreds of millions last year, and they're you know, a pretty well-known team. That's just the economics of the game. The the value of the franchise going up is is sort of the long-term model. So you're having an annual operating loss, but the business is growing in value. And in American soccer, it's really growing and will continue to grow. We have now the the player transfer, so we have this extra income stream that a lot of other clubs don't have that comes alongside the tickets and the sponsorship that you would normally have. One thing we've done this year, which I'm I'm very excited about, it's, it's one part capital raise, but it's also one part fan engagement is we've put 5% of the club up for fans. And uh, this is something... I'm an owner of AFC Wimbledon, my team back in England. I mean, I own just about enough that there's three bricks at the stadium with my name and my kids' names on the new stand they built. Here, we've we've allowed fans to be part of it. So we've raised uh, best part of half a million so far from about 1,100 different people. And... There's been hundreds of people who have come in for the hundred dollars, which is the sort of tell your friends you own a piece of a football club sort of investment amount um, and you get different perks you get you know a special certificate and for a thousand dollars you get your your name on a kit that the players will actually wear, and oh, then nice. you know lunch with the manager round a goal for the players coming in at sort of five or ten thousand but we 've had people invest at five ten twenty five even even fifty thousand dollars coming in because they're investing in the future. So it's it's not the Green Bay Packers sort of, it's an ownership, but you can't do anything with it. It's, right. It is one part, look at me, I own a football team. But it is another part, making a real investment in the future. And we're using those funds to help develop your more young players to increase our ability to do that. But it's, it's been fun. And we've got Matt Barkley, Johnny Bananas have become... Um owners of the club, which is which is fun. Um, you know, we've got some sort of prominent orange county people who who've become part of the ownership group. Um, so like I say it's um it's a really interesting way of, like I say, raising real money, but also creating fan engagement and building this sort of community, which we've has been a big part of what we're trying to achieve
0: as a club. Let's turn our, our discussion to the field and the actual product on the field. Talk to me a little bit about the team, the manager, um, and kind of what your guys' philosophy is on building this team.
1: We won the league in twenty twenty one, which was great, but then we finished bottom of the league next year, which, is, of course, is not great. So we had a big rebuild last year. So we, a new coach came in. His name's Morton Carlson. Um, he was at the World Cup with Denmark as a as a coach. Um, he's coached and played in the top division. Um, in his native Denmark. And we've got a team, and it's about one-third MLS, former MLS players. We've signed a couple of guys from LA Galaxy. We had a former MLS Rookie of the Year who's played 150 times in the MLS, a guy called Dylan Powers. We love bringing in players from Europe. So we've got uh, Norwegians and Finns and... Uh, Danish players that we've we've brought in. We've got a guy who was who was at Chelsea who's now with us, Kyle Scott, who's a midfielder. Um, and then the other third is young players. So we've got probably the top-rated 16-year-old in the country, Ben Bargiolo's part of our team. We've had the US under-17, 19 and 21 captains playing for us. So you've got these sort of three different places we get the players from. And, and for us, it's the mix. So... We set a USL transfer record in 22, selling a guy called Kobe Henry, who was the US under-21 captain. He played centre-back for us in the year we won the championship. And he was 17, playing alongside a guy called Michael Orozco, who'd played 29 times for the US national team. So sort of, it was experience with youth. We put them together. We won a championship. One player retires, the other one gets sold to a French team for a then record fee. So, and then got a call up to the US national team as well. So for us, it's that blend. We want to be competitive. We don't want to just be a selling team and then you come along every week and we lose. That's not how right. this works. We want to be competitive. We want to you know, get to the playoffs every year at a minimum. But then we also want to blood these youngsters and give them a chance to play real men's football so they can go off and live their dreams in Europe.
0: From kind of a uh, bringing up talent academy perspective, are you you know sourcing folks right out of like high school as well, or are you really sourcing from European leagues and different places?
1: So our, our richest source has been um, either MLS academies. Uh, so players don't want to lounge around in an MLS academy and never really get up to the first team. They want to come, and there some of them are taking pay cuts to then come and play. For us, because they want to play in this league, because of the route to Europe, um, we've worked with sort of other academy groups like the Barcelona academy. Here, we've taken a couple of players um, from them. So we're looking all over the place, and then also part of our we have a partnership with with Feyenoord, the, the Dutch champions, where they're looking for players in in South Central America. And rather than taking them straight over to Holland, they come and park them with us for a year, mm. see what they look like, see if they're up to the right standard, and then if they want them, then they, they take them and if they don't, they don't. So uh you know, we we've got that sort of model. And also we've just done a deal with um so San Diego the new MLS team start the year after this one. So we've taken their goalkeeper on loan this year. It's a, Oh, really talented young player who's played at sort of youth international level and he's going to be a serious player in the future. Um, he's played USL games and he's going to come and sort of sit with us for a year. He'll, you know, he may well be part of the he'll be part of the squad, maybe part of the team and then he'll go back to the MLS the year after next. So it's lots of different places and it's all about bringing these youngsters together. And some of it is helping them be better footballers but some of them is making them be better people. So... Yeah. It's the intangibles in sport. Like, how do you behave in a dressing room? How do you behave when you're flying, as we have to do for every road trip here? How are you in hotels? That's stuff that you need that they can't really... How do you teach somebody that? That's a big part of the philosophy. So when they go to these European teams, they're not just excellent footballers, but actually they are good teammates and they're not going to be doing anything silly on social media or drinking or, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's all part of the philosophy. We want, to, we want to create the complete footballers and hand them off.
0: What is the strategy that you've undertaken? Obviously, you're in a crowded market, right, being in L.A. You mentioned some un- unfriendly neighbors, perhaps, in the MLS. Um, what has been your strategy to kind of carve out your fan base to date?
1: I think the thing for us is our, our sort of slogan is community, heart, global vision. And I think we're a real community team. And you know, we talk about the fact that you can you can bring your entire family to one of our games for less than the price of just the parking at an LA Galaxy game. And I think, you know, we're a smaller team. There's a real family atmosphere. At the end of the game, when the players go around sort of signing stuff for the fans in the, in the terraces, like the, some of the players follow some of these kids on social media. Some of these young players are in academies and all that stuff. Like, they they know the players. The players know their names. And I think there's something really special when we have an honorary captain every game where a young boy or girl sort of walks out with our captain and then six weeks later the captain will be signing autographs and say to the player, you know, hi Alfie, how are you? Like, there's you don't get that. No offence yeah. to Lionel Messi, but he's not remembering the names of the kids. Um And I think there 's something really special about that that we 're a family community team, so let's say so you can come, you can be part of it. our stadium is. We have like inflatables for the kids around the stadium. So people will go and watch the game at one end of the stadium where their kids are playing at the other end. And and it's all safe. I don't think you could do that at the, at the SoFi Stadium. So I think there's a real sort of family atmosphere around it. And people want to support their, their local team. We are the only professional soccer team in Orange County. And I think some people travel to LA to watch LAFC and LA Galaxy. And we share season ticket holders with those clubs. But ours is your sort of friendly neighborhood sports team where you can be really part of it in a different way. I think that's what we're trying to offer.
0: For those who don't live in Orange County, aren't tied to the team, maybe on the line about investing, what's kind of your final pitch to them as to why they might want to invest?
1: Yeah, so look, obviously, if you're a fan of Orange County, you're from Orange County, this is a great opportunity to own a bit of your local team. If you're not, I I think it's this... And we sort of, this is like helping US soccer grow. So US soccer doesn't grow by the MLS having higher valuations on their franchises. That's not what it's about. We are giving young, talented players a chance to live out their dreams. The reason the US team is a legitimate shot at winning the next World Cup is because nearly the entire starting eleven now play in the top European leagues. Um, that's just the reality of it. That's the highest standard. In other sports, America is obviously the top, which is why Japanese players want to come and play in Major League Baseball. But for soccer, the MLS, I think, is ranked 13th highest league in the world, maybe even lower than that. That If you want to play, you need to play in Europe. You get better. Pulisic is better for having played in a Premier League and now playing in, in, in Italy. And I think we want to help these young players. So... We had a young guy, Karede Osundinia, great player for us. We've sold him to Feyenoord. He signed a very, very significant financial deal. He's playing in the top division over in Europe. That's a great opportunity for one of America's better young players. He could come back and play in the World Cup. Um, Kobe Henry, who we sold, could go back and play in the World Cup. We, you know, we want to be a successful team, but we want to give people a chance to effectively own a piece of the future of American soccer, which is helping young players get to Europe. And they can do that having spent a year playing in the palm trees of Orange County.
0: I love it. Dan, thank you so much for your time, for your insights and for the team that you're building. I, I think it's really wonderful. And for all those who are interested, you go check them out on Republic. Thanks for listening.